Hello and welcome to Account Instruction Help and How To. In this lecture, we're going to take a look at adjusting entries, the adjusting transactions. We will be able to, at the end of this, describe the adjusting process in terms of the accrual process, describe basic rules that can be applied to the adjusting process, and then we're going to calculate the journal adjustments related to the supplies account, unearned revenue, wages payable, accounts receivable, depreciation, and insurance. We're going to walk through those transactions. We're going to reason out why those transactions are the way they are, as well as why we have the accrual process in general. We are going to tie out the journal entries, as we do all the time, to what's going to be the effect on assets, what's going to be the effect on liabilities, what's going to be the effect on equity, what's going to be the effect of these transactions on income. So the adjusting process, what is it? We're going to record transactions in the proper period in accordance with the accrual basis, which is governed by, of course, the revenue recognition principle and the matching principle. So when we think about accrual in general, we're, we're thinking about the revenue recognition. We, may, we enter revenue or we record revenue when it is earned, not necessarily when we receive the cash. And on the expense side, we record the expenses when they have been incurred or we can think of it as when we've consumed an asset or generated a liability in order to help us generate revenue so we're matching the expenses to that related income now we're going to do these adjusting processes as of the end of the time period end of a time period being the end of a year or the end of a month normally why because that's when we make the financial statements so for if it's the end of the year if it's 12 31 we are going to make the financial statements as of 1231. The balance sheet will be as of 1231. The income statement will be for the period ended, the year ended in that case of 1231. Therefore, we want everything to be correct as of 1231. Now, when we're saying this, we're saying it's an adjusting process. We're, we might be thinking it's typical to get the idea that, well, why isn't it correct already? I mean, is the, did the account department make an error? And now we're going back in and adjusting it to fix the problems that the account department did. That's not the case. That's not what's happening. What's happening is the accounting department is doing what they're supposed to do, and we have set up the system so that we plan on having these adjustments that will be as of the end of the year or the end of a month, and that's just going to be the best way for the system to work. It's the most efficient way to work for some of these accounts. As we go through some of these typical accounts, you'll see why. So it's not like we're going through and auditing all the accounts and we're figuring out the problems and then adjusting them and fixing them. What we're really doing is completing the process that we've planned out to do, which includes adjust adjustments at the end of the time period. Also note that the adjustments are always going to be as of the end of the time period. We, what we're saying is if we're making all the adjustments as of 1231, then we're saying that the financial statements are going to be on a perfect accrual basis so that we can create the trial balance is going to create the financial statements as of that date. What we're not saying then, how of course, that means that as of the day before 1230 or day before that 1229 we do not have perfect accrual we did not make adjusting entries we are saying that they're going to be correct as of the end of the month or the end of the year and these accounts will have some issues to them based on the way the system is set up any time other than the, the exact time that those adjustments are going to be made now when we think about the adjusting process you want to think about this as a separate process so you can think about it as a uh, separate process within the company or you can, you can think about it as you know maybe a CPA firm or someone else taking a look at it so we got the accounting department doing their thing and then at the end of the time period they're going to have an unadjusted trial balance that is going to go to the adjusting department and then we're going to make our adjustments now depending on the company uh, it, 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 it'll vary who's going to make the adjustments 
but it's you want to make a clear distinction in your head of the two processes that are happening we're doing the transactions for the month and then at the end of the time period we're going to do the adjusting process one reason we want to make that distinction is that the adjusting process is going to have some differences in terms of the journal entries now we're not going to have to unlearn anything all the journal entries the, the normal rules are still there we're going to have every journal entry is going to have at least two accounts and every journal entry is going to have uh, debits and credits that will be equal those rules still apply the new rules that we're going to have to the adjusting process which will be helpful if we know the new rules within the adjusting process because it'll help us to uh, nail down those adjusting processes and kind of think through the, the way they're going to be put together a lot more easily uh, so so the same rules are going to apply every every account has two accounts involved at least but we're going to make the transaction as of the cutoff date so that means as of the end of the year or the end of the month so that's the first thing we want to know all adjusting entries are as of the end of the time period end of the year or the end of the month adjusting entries will almost never involve cash they're usually never going to be related to cash that's going to be a huge difference than a lot of the entries we looked at before where we always asked the first question which was is cash affected because cash was affected in so many transactions and we can easily know what's going on in cash the cash account is something that uh, the accounting department usually takes care of on an accrual basis the accounting department usually reconciles cash before we receive the uh, the adjusted the unadjusted trial balance so cash is something that we're not going to usually have to adjust at the end of the time period then we're usually going to have one balance sheet account and one income statement account and so that's going to be different than normal transactions where we could have uh, two balance sheet accounts and whatnot so on the adjusting process it's important to note because it's a timing issue what we're doing is we're having one balance sheet account and one income statement account the income statement accounts of course being the accounts related to timing so that's going to be important to note note that if we think about that if we look at a trial balance if we visualize the trial balance we know that the balance sheet accounts are going to be up top cash accounts receivable supplies uh, prepaid insurance land those are all assets then we have under those the liabilities I'm going to visualize those in yellow and they're going to be on the right side because they're credits we've got accounts payable wages unearned revenue and then we've got the capital account that's going to be what's owed to the owner it's going to be a credit on the right hand side I'm visualizing it bright blue and then we have the income statement under there so the income statement the bottom half of the trial balance is going to include revenue income or sales they're all income type of accounts whatever the company tries whatever the company calls it it's going to be a credit I'm going to imagine it as like a navy blue on the right hand side because it's part of equity and then we have all the expenses we could have like wages expense utilities expense insurance expense they're going to be the debits on um, the left hand side so every transaction is going to have a balance sheet account and an income statement account the income statement accounts as we've discussed before generally only go up so revenue only goes up revenue only has credits it's going to just be credit 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 that's because customers pay us we don't generally pay customers if there's a liability if there's a problem and we have to pay customers then we might be incurring an expense related to the business we're doing but we don't usually uh, decrease revenue now you, you might think well what if there's a return or something like that if what if we don't get paid but even then we're going to set up different accounts that are kind of like contra revenue accounts so for the most part we can think of revenue always being credited it always goes up expenses same thing if we're talking about wages expense utilities expense they're going to be debit balance accounts and they always go up with a debit for example wages uh we, the employees never pay us we always pay the employees right the utility bills we don't we don't get paid by the utility bill it only goes one way it's only an expense the expense only goes up that's helpful because we if we know what the expense does 
then we can know what happens to the other side of the transaction. So if we know that we have wages expense and it only goes up, that means we're going to debit wages expense. And that means that we must be crediting whatever other account we're talking about. So those rules will be coming in handy as we go through this. So first one, we're going to talk about supplies. We're going to talk about adjusting supplies. Supplies is going to be one of those normal accounts that we always are going to adjust or look at for adjusting. This is going to be our introduction to inventory. We're not going to talk about inventory right now. But supplies is kind of our introduction to inventory. So we're going to go, I'm going to go through our rules. I'm going to imagine the trial balance. And I first want to go through there and look for the balance sheet account that will be affected and the income statement account. I always recommend visualizing or having in front of you a trial balance. If you're talking about a test question or something like that and they don't give you a trial balance, then if you, if you can get a trial balance, even if it's not related to that particular test question, still helpful because the trial balance will tell you if it's an asset liability or equity just by where it is in the trial balance and it'll tell you if it's a debit or credit balance very handy information to know so if we go through our chart of accounts I've got cash I got accounts receivable assets and then I have supplies that sounds like it's probably related to supplies uh, adjusting entry so I'm gonna highlight that one we're gonna have supplies it's up in the asset area so we have an asset of supplies so I'm gonna say that one's probably affected then I got prepaid insurance uh, land equipment and then accounts payable wages we're in the liabilities unearned revenue it's probably not none of those, but I know it's going to be under the income statement. The income statement accounts here because there's going to be one balance sheet and one income statement account. The income statement accounts include uh, revenue, wages expense, utilities, insurance expense, supplies expense. That sounds like it's probably related to supplies. So no, not not very tricky. We're we're actually going to name the accounts that pretty relates to <laughs> to what they are. So if we're if we're doing an adjusting entry to supplies, the two accounts affected supplies assets and supplies expense. Now we're going to go through this process and think through it without even, and we can make the journal entry without even really knowing what we're doing. Then we'll talk about what we're doing. So supplies expense. We said it's an expense account. It only goes up. It has a debit balance. So how do we make something go up? We do the same thing to it as what it is. Therefore, we're going to debit the expense account for supplies. So I don't know what exactly the amount is right now, but I know we're going to debit supplies. So I'm going to make our, trans our journal entry. So I'm going to go to our journal entry. I'm going to put on top. I'm going to say supplies is going to be the first account on top. I don't know what it is, but I know it's going, to, it's going to be a debit. And that means that we're going to have to credit whatever other account that we're dealing with. And we just said the other account is going to be supplies, the asset. So just by knowing that, I know that we're going to debit supplies expense. and We're going to credit supplies, the asset. So we can go through that process without even really knowing what's going on and see what, what we're doing. Now, in order to get the number, in order to know what's going on, we have to think about what we're trying to do here. And what we are trying to do is recognize what supplies have been used. This is the process we're setting up for supplies. It's kind of like uh, a periodic inventory account uh, for inventory. So what we're going to say is every time we purchase something, let's say we're purchasing uh, paper for, we're purchasing large quantities of paper that we're going to use throughout the year. And whenever we purchase it, we tell the accounting department, hey, when you purchase it, just pay for it and it's automatically going to credit uh, cash and it's going to debit the supplies asset account. So we're telling the accounting department, put it into the asset account, don't expense it. Why are we doing that? Because we, we're knowing at the end of the time period that we're going to then adjust it. We're going to make the adjustment as part of the adjustment process. How are we going to make the adjustment? Well, we're going we're gonna to count <laughs> the inventory at the end and we're going to say, well, here's how much is left in inventory and the difference between what was recorded and what is now there at the end, that's what we have to make the adjustment for. So, for example, if we said that the supplies account, uh, when, when, when we look at the books, before the adjustment was 4800 
And then we go and we count the supplies and we say, okay, the physical count says that there's only 2,650 in supplies. Then that means that we, if we subtract those, there was 4,800 minus the 2,650. That leaves 2,150. That must be what we used. So we're assuming, of course, that's what we have used in supplies. That's the number we're going to expense. Now, you might be saying, well, that might not be true. What if someone stole the supplies and this kind of thing? That can happen, and we, and uh, we'd have to account for that. We'd have to tie down the controls, and we could do like a perpetual inventory system to account for that. But, of course, the assumption that we're making here is that we use those supplies in order to uh, generate the revenue, and that would be the expense. So that means that we're going to debit that 2150 we're going to credit the 2,150 to supplies. So supplies expense debit, 2,150. Supplies the asset, 2,150 credit. If we were to post that, what would happen to the accounts? Well, we know that the supplies the asset was at 4,800. It's a debit. We did the opposite thing to it. We credited it. And that's going to make it go down. So it's going to go down from a 4,800 debit balance minus the credit of 2,150 to 2650 then the supplies expense account we know that if it if we didn't have any supplies expense for this time period this month then we're going to say it's zero and then it's going to go up in the debit direction of 2150 to 2150 in this case what's the effect on net income the expense went up that's going to bring net income down next transaction we want to take a look at is going to be related to unearned revenue so we're going to look at unearned revenue now we're going to just see which accounts are going to be affected before we actually analyze and talk about it. Unearned revenue is one of the most confusing accounts to a lot of people because a lot of companies don't even have unearned revenue. It just depends on the type of, of industry. But it's a really good accrual concept to understand. So first, let's just go through our, our transactions and think through the process and see what accounts are going to be debited and credited and then go back and kind of analyze the why. So remember our rules, we're going to say there's going to be one balance sheet account and there's going to be one income statement account. So the balance sheet accounts are on top. If I just go through a trial balance, if I look at a trial balance, I could say, okay, assets include the cash, accounts receivable, supplies, prepaid insurance, land, equipment. Uh, then we got the, the liabilities, accounts payable, wages payable, unearned revenue. Hmm, that sounds like it probably relates to an adjustment for <laughs> unearned revenue, right? And then we're going to have the income statement accounts. And this one's a little bit more difficult, but if I look at the income statement, it starts with income, uh, revenue, sales. One of those are an income statement account. And that's going to be the account that's actually going to be affected because we're talking about the uh, relation between unearned revenue and earned revenue. So the income statement of account is revenue. The balance sheet account above the capital account is unearned revenue. And so we know that's going to be those two of the two accounts that are affected just by the name of what we're talking about. And so then we're going to say, well, the income statement account is an income account. And it has a credit balance. And we know income like only goes up. It only goes up. Therefore, we're going to make it go up by doing the same thing to it. So it's a credit balance. We're going to increase revenue by crediting the income account. So I'm going to go over here to our transaction and without even knowing really why so far, just, just knowing what the name of the account is, I can say I'm going to pull over this. We're going to put the credit on the bottom to revenue and we're going to credit revenue. I don't know what the number is right now, but I know I'm going to credit revenue. I'm going to put that there. And that means that we're going to have to do the opposite to the other accounts. That means the unearned revenue must be on top. That must be the account that we're going to debit. So just by the, the name of the accounts, I'm looking at the trial balance, we, we can figure out that we're going to debit unearned revenue. We're going to credit revenue. So now let's think through why this is happening. In order to do that, first we need to know what is unearned revenue. Why is it on the books in the first place? Unearned revenue means that we got revenue, we got money before we earned it. 
or we got payment of some type, usually money, before we earned it. Now, at certain industries, this is going to happen all the time. So if we, sell, if we for example, sell uh, concert tickets, then the nature of the concert ticket is that we get paid the concert ticket money before the concert. Therefore, when we get paid, we haven't earned it. We didn't earn it until the concert happens. A lot of other businesses is usually the other way. If we do bookkeeping or something like that, we usually do the bookkeeping and then we bill the client, meaning we're getting paid after we do the work. That's the norm. We're, getting, we're usually, most businesses, we get paid after we do the work. But there's some businesses, uh, a lot of su subscription type businesses, if we're buying newspapers or something like that, or selling newspapers or something like that, then of course we want to get paid before we provide the newspapers, magazines, those type of industries will have that. Other types of, of areas where we have unearned revenue is when we get some kind of deposit. So if we're, if we're selling something large, like if we're selling a large, like boats or something like that, and we need to, to order the boat, we might ask for a down payment. We might say, hey, why don't you give me 10% now? I will then uh, order the custom boat and then you can pay me the difference just to cover ourselves. When they give us that down payment, we haven't earned it yet. We haven't earned it till we buy the boat. And last example is going to be rent. Rent, we often have the security deposit, and the security deposit isn't really revenue until the end of the month, and, and then they, they, they never give it back to you, right? And that means that now, then it's revenue at the, at the end of the month, or, when, or sometimes they require the last month of rent first. So that's going to be some examples of it. It's good to think about an example where they always have this, this in, in process. So if we think of something like we're selling newspapers, then every time we get the revenue, what's going to happen is we're going to set the system up. We're going to say, hey, when you get paid, when we have a new subscription, what's going to happen? We're going to debit cash in that case because we got cash and we can't credit revenue like we normally would. We have to credit unearned revenue. That's just the way the system's going to be set up. And then at the end of the month, what we're, what we're going to have to do is say, okay, of the revenue that we have here, how much of it have we earned? And we're going to have to figure that calculation out. Now we're not going to go through the calc we're not going to go through an example of how to figure that out. When we first do adjusting entry processes, they'll just say uh, that this is how much is still in unearned revenue. Now note that I could word this two different ways. The, a book problem could say uh, this is how much of the unearned revenue has been earned, and that would mean that we would just use that number. We'd say, okay, we we're going to credit revenue for the amount that's been earned or the more complicated way is they could say this is how much of the unearned revenue that is still unearned as of the end of the time period if it's still unearned that's how much that the unearned revenue should be so let's give an example here we're going to say okay the unearned revenue has 26,000 in it as of the end of the time period as of the end of the year in this case and the, the problem we figure out as the company that uh, there should be unearned revenue of 18,000 that is still unearned as of 1231. So that would mean that we have to do a subtraction problem. We gotta say, okay, well, there's 26,000 in it now. It should only be 18. That means that we need to reduce unearned revenue by the 8,000. So that's gonna be the calculation. So if we did that, we said we're gonna debit re uh, unearned revenue by 8,000 now, and we're gonna credit revenue or income by the 8,000. What would be the effect if we do that? Well, we can see that unearned revenue has a 26000 It's a liability account, and it's going to then go down because we're doing the opposite thing to it. So it's a liability with a credit. We're debiting it, making it go down because we're reducing the amount that is unearned because we have now earned it. So it goes from 26000 credit down by the 8000 debit to 18000 credit. We should end up with 
the amount that the calculation told us it should be because we said that that's what it should be and we made the adjustment to take it there. And then the revenue account, we've got a credit. And so in this case, I have a credit of uh, 324,600 and we credited the credit account for revenue, increasing it by 8,002, in this case, 332,600. What's the effect on net income? Net income went up. Why? Because revenue went up. Revenue went up. Revenue minus expenses is net income. Therefore, the net income is going up as well. Next one, we're going to talk about the adjusting process for wages. Wages payable adjusting process. So once again, before we go into why, we're just going to go through our process and try to figure out which accounts are going to be affected here, even if we don't know what's going on. And then we're going to go back in there and see what's going on and why it's going on. So first, we're going to say there's going to be one balance sheet account, one income statement account. We have our trial balance. I'm going to look through the trial balance and see what might be related to wages. So we have the assets of cash, receivables. I'm just going down the trial balance, supplies, prepaid insurance, land, equipment. Then we got uh, liabilities of uh, accounts payable, wages payable. Hmm, wages, wages payable. Sounds like it's got wages in it. I think that's going to be one. Then we're going to say the income statement account. There's going to be an income statement account related to every adjusting process on the income statement. Starts with income or revenue, whatever they call it, sales possibly. And then we have utilities expense, insurance expense, and wages expense. So that sounds like the income statement account that will be affected. So we could figure that out just by looking at it and say, it's, well, it's related to wages. And there's going to be a balance sheet account, so it looks like wages payable. And there's going to be an income statement account, so that looks like wages expense. Now, they could call it something else. They could call it like a payroll expense or something like that, but we should be able to find it. So then we know that the expense, the wages expense, it is a debit balance like all expenses, and they only go up. Therefore, wages expenses must be debited. We must be going to debit wages expense. That means that if we look at our journal entry, wages expense is going to go on top. It's going to be debited. I don't know how much it's going to be debited for yet, but we know that it's going to be a debit. And then we're going to credit then whatever other account we have. And in this case, it's the balance sheet account of wages payable. So without even knowing what's going on, if we just go through this process, just like by the names, and we know that there's going to be an income statement account, and a balance sheet account, we can figure account which accounts are affected and whether they're going to be debited or credited. Now let's figure out what's going on. So wages payable. Why do we have a payable at the end for wages and this is one of those areas when we look when we think about the payroll process it doesn't make sense for us to have the payroll process on a perfect accrual all the time because if you think about that that would mean that every hour that we work the system should be put in an accrual saying they worked that hour and they are owed that money but that's a tedious system to have of course what really happens is if if the, on the most simplistic kind of payroll system if we say that someone gets paid every Friday and we calculate the system, we're basically on a cash basis in that case. We're going to say every Friday comes around and we owe this, we owe these people $5,000 and we're just going to record the debit to wages expense and we're going to, and uh, we're going to credit the uh, cash as of the end of the time period. And it's, so that means that, and, and I'm not going to talk, we're not going to get into the uh, taxes right now. So we're not talking about payroll taxes. We're just talking about a simplified transaction where we're just paying the employee wages expense wages payable, that's going to be the transaction. Now, if we think about our cutoff date, however, it's as of 1231 or it's as of the end of the month, and it's very unlikely that 1231, the end of the cutoff date, is going to be exactly on Friday. So what happens if our cutoff date is not on Friday? What happens if it's on, like, Wednesday? So now we're saying 1231 is on Wednesday. They're not going to get paid till next year on Friday. 
and that means that they worked Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and they didn't get paid. So that that means that for those three days, we got to pull those into this time period, even though the payroll system is going to record it on a cash basis next year. And that's and that could seem like with this example, like it's not a big deal. But obviously, if we're talking about a large payroll process, if we're talking about not being paid weekly but being paid monthly or biweekly, then this could be a big number. So we need to we need to have the perfect accrual as of the end of the year, and that means that we need to have the cutoff date not on a cash basis but on an accrual basis. So if we went in there and we said, okay, it's uh, the cutoff date is as of Wednesday, how much was owed to the employees as of the cutoff date that's not that didn't get paid until the next year? We got to pull that in to the expense here. So uh, a book problem is usually going to give you that. I mean, in real life, we would go through the, the payroll process. We, we would look at uh, what was earned in those three days versus what was paid out after those three days. And that's what we pull in. A book problem is usually going to say, at least the beginning book problem, here's the wages payable accrual number that we have determined what's going to be the adjusting entry. If, for example, they say it's 4,200 was the accrual, then we know that we're going to debit the wages expense 4200 and we know that we're going to credit wages payable 4200 what's that going to do to the accounts well wages payable if we say that we don't have any or or less wages payable if we say nothing's on the books right now we're going to credit it by 4200 that means the liability of wages payable what we owe to the employee has gone up by the 4200 on the expense side if we're saying the expense has a debit balance I have an expense here of 193,370. We're going to debit it again for the expense that has been incurred that has not yet been paid by a debit of 4,200, bringing the expense account up to, in this case, 197,570. What happens to net income? Well, it's going to go down because the expense went up, and we know that net income is calculated by revenue minus expenses. Therefore, if expenses went up, then revenue is going down. Next adjusting entry. We're going to do an adjusting entry related to accounts receivable. Now, this one's going to look kind of, it's kind of funny because this one, when we look at the transaction, we're going to say, hey, that's the normal transaction that the accounts, that the uh, accounting department does. Why would we have to do an adjustment for accounts receivable? And what's going to typically happen here oftentimes is that we're going to say as of the cutoff date, the invoice was sent out but it wasn't sent out as of the cutoff date it was sent out after the cutoff date but the work was done before the cutoff date why would that happen well if we're thinking about something like a law firm or like a cpa firm we know that we bill basically on time we, we bill based on time so that it takes a, a bit of time in order for us to gather how much time needs to be billed so if we're looking through uh, like every two weeks it's possible that we could be going through all the people that work at the firm and we're looking at their billing rate and we're seeing uh, how many hours they worked and who they worked for and whatnot and then we're going to put that bill together we might do that every two weeks or so so that, so that means it may be very possible that that an invoice if we're doing a cutoff date as of the end of the year it's very possible that uh, the invoice went out in in january sometime even though the work was done in december and on a perfectly accrual principle for the revenue recognition principle we should have the revenue recognized on the date that it was earned and therefore we need to pull that revenue back into this period and not have it be recorded in the next time period. So that's going to be the adjustment we're going to make. Now if we just think through our accounts again we're going to do a normal process we're going to say what's going to be the balance sheet account related to an invoice that we need to pull back in 
to this time period. Now, it's a little bit more tricky to, to think through, but if we go through our accounts, we're going to say it's cash, we got accounts receivable, and that's going to be it. It's going to be related to accounts receivable because we're basically invoicing. We're basically recording an invoice, not because the accounting department didn't record it. It's because the accounting department recorded it in the next time period when they, when they got around to processing the invoice rather than in the, the, as of the end of this time period, as the end of our cutoff time period, which is when we need to record the revenue. If we look at the, the accounts below the uh, balance sheet on the income statement, the income statement accounts, we're going to have one balance account, one income statement account. We have revenue uh, and sales. That's our first account. That's going to be the account that will be affected because that's going to be the normal invoicing process. So this transaction, if we looked at an invoice and we said, hey, this invoice for 4900 went out in January, but the work was done in uh, December, then we're just going to record the normal invoice transaction, but we're going to record it as of the cutoff date in December. So we're going to debit accounts receivable for 4900 and we're going to credit revenue for 4900 And if we went through the process of, of thinking that through in terms of adjusting entries, we would say, well, we know we're going to, we're going to do something to revenue. Revenue has a credit balance. We know that uh, revenue only goes up. Therefore, we're going to credit the revenue. And if we credit revenue, then we're going to debit whatever other account is affected, which in this case would be accounts receivable. What would be the effect then? Well, accounts receivable is going to go up with a debit. Accounts receivable is an asset. If I have $32,000 i am starting with an accounts receivable and we debit it by $4,900, we would have accounts receivable as of the end of the time period, as of our cutoff date of $36,900. What happens to revenue? It's going to go up like it always does. Revenue always goes up. So if I had revenue of $327,350, of a credit and then I credited it again doing the same thing to it of 4,900 then it would go up to 332,250 and what happens to net income? Net income is going to go up. Why? Because it's going to be revenue which went up minus the expenses which stayed the same means that net income is going to go up. That means total equity is going to go up as well. Next one we're going to talk through is going to be related to depreciation. So adjusting entry related to depreciation. So first, before we even talk about what depreciation is, we may not even know what depreciation is. We can still figure out what the debit account is going to be and what the credit is account just by looking for that word probably. So let's think about that and, and then go back and figure out what we're talking about. So I'm going to, I'm going to look at our trial balance or imagine the trial balance. I'm going to look through the accounts. I'm going to see what is related to it, uh, depreciation in terms of the balance sheet side. So if I just go through the accounts, it's got the assets of cash, accounts receivable, supplies, uh, prepaid insurance, land, equipment, accumulated depreciation uh, that has depreciation in the wording there. So I'm going to say that's probably going to be it. It's going to be accumulated depreciation. But what's going to be the income statement account related to something like depreciation? Income statement account starts with revenue or income. Uh, we have expenses, including wages expense, utilities expense, insurance expense, supplies expense, depreciation expense. Well, that's probably a depreciation expense. So those are the two accounts that I think are going to be affected here just based on the wording. And depreciation expense is an expense. Expenses only go up. They have debit balances. They only go up in a debit direction. Therefore, we're going to debit depreciation expense. So if I imagine my adjusting entry transaction, we're going to put the depreciation expense on top. It's going to be depreciation expense on top. I don't know what the amount is, but that's going to be, uh, it's going to be the debit. And that means that we're going to have to credit whatever other account was affected, which in this case was accumulated depreciation. So again, just by the word, just by the name of depreciation, we know that we're going to debit. Uh, the depreciation expense and credit accumulated depreciation. All right, so now let's talk about what is uh, accumulated depreciation. Why are we doing this? 
Accumulate, accumulated depreciation is going to be our first contra uh, asset account, meaning it's an asset account. It's green, it's up in the asset area, but it has a credit balance, kind of like a liability. So that's kind of weird. Why is that? The accumulated depreciation account is going to be related to the equipment account or some type of property, plant, and equipment type of account. So if, if we had a forklift, we put the forklift on the books for whatever we purchased it for. If we purchased it for 10000 we put the forklift on the books for 10000 Now, when we write down the forklift, it's similar to when we wrote down, like, supplies. We said, okay, well, we know we used some of the supplies, and therefore we wrote down the supplies, recognizing the fact that it went down in value. Forklift does the same thing. If I, if I look at it next year, I can't sell it for what I bought it for this year. So we know that it went down in value, but it's different that it didn't physically go down in in size like the supplies does. I can't go and count the forklift like I can count the supplies and see, ah, the, pot, the stack of forkliftness went down. That doesn't happen. I know the value of the forklift went down, but I don't, I can't really determine exactly how that value went down because it doesn't physically deteriorate uh, in a, some way that I can count. <laughs> there might be some rust on it or something like that. So that means that we're going to have to have some kind of estimate of how it goes down. So we're going to estimate it, and so if we, we're going to usually do that with like straight line depreciation or something like that. We'll talk about that later, but I mean, obviously the most common example, or the most, if we were to just think through, how would I do this? We would come up with probably the idea, well, I think the forklift's going to last something like five years, and therefore if I take the, the price of the forklift and I divide it by the five years, that's how much it should go down in value each, uh, each year. So that would be the typical kind of way we would do it. Now, there's going to be a difference in supplies here because of that estimate. We're not going to say, okay, I'm going to actually write the actual forklift down every year because it's just an estimate. And what we want to do is tell our reader, we want to say, hey, you know what? I bought the forklift for this much, and I've estimated that it's going down in value based on this assumption by this much. So what we're really doing is we're kind of breaking up the T account. We're breaking it up into like a... A, a seven on one side and an, and an R on the other side. And so we broke out the T into a seven and an R. So kind of like, so the credit side, which would be bringing down the asset, is now being a separate account. So you can really think about those two accounts are related. The equipment account and the accumulated depreciation account are related. The equipment account is always going to be greater than the accumulated depreciation, meaning the debit part of the account is going to be greater than the credit part of the account meaning that if they were put together, it would be a debit balance account. So that's why we have it in that format. So when we, so that means that when we think about the books, we're going to say that we have the equipment on the books for cost, what we bought it for, minus the accumulated depreciation. That's how much we've wrote it down for. That will give us then the book value. So most problems when we start off on just the adjusting entry, they'll just give you the number. They'll say, hey, we calculated depreciation. And it's going to be, in this case, $1,100, we're going to say. And so that, that's going to be, they're just going to give you that later times we're going to have to actually calculate the depreciation. And we'll talk about that process at a later time. So what's going to be the effect? If we, if we record this, accumulated depreciation has a credit balance. It's going to go up in the credit direction, increasing the credit balance. What's that do to the book value of the property, plant, and equipment? It makes it go down because we're going to say that the equipment minus the accumulated depreciation is the book value. So the equipment has a debit balance, 
and it stayed the same and the accumulated depreciation has a credit balance and it went it went up so if we subtract the two out then the book value of the equipment goes down as expected that's what we would think would happen depreciation expense is going to go up it's a debit balance it's an expense account they all have debit balances it's going to go up in the debit direction and that means uh, what's going to happen to net income it's going to go down because it's calculated as income minus expenses and expenses went up therefore net income's going down and that also means that equity as a total is going down as well. Next adjusting entry is going to be called insurance. We're going to adjust for insurance or prepaid insurance. It's going to be a typical adjusting entry that we will have. Pretty much every company is going to have this. Again, we're going to go through our normal process. We're going to say what's going to be the balance sheet account, what's going to be the income statement account, and then uh, we'll go in and say why. So we're going to be able to say, hey, we're doing something to insurance. So what are the two accounts that are going to be affected? Well, let's look through the balance sheet accounts. Something related to insurance. If I just go through the accounts in our trial balance, it starts with the assets of cash and then uh, accounts receivable and supplies. And then I got something called prepaid insurance sitting there. That sounds like it's related to insurance. I'm thinking that's going to be one of the accounts that will be related to this. Let's look at the income statement. What are the income statement accounts that might be related to insurance? Well, income statement starts with revenue, wages expense, utilities expense. And then I see insurance expense. And that sounds like it's got insurance involved in it in some way so i'm going to say that the insurance expense is going to be one of the accounts so those are the two accounts that we're going to have now the insurance expense is an expense and therefore expenses only go up they go up in the debit direction and so we're going to debit insurance expense so i'm going to go over to our adjusting journal entry journal entry and we're going to put the insurance expense on top it's going to be the debit and so we're going to put it up there we don't know what the amount's going to be yet but we know that we're going to debit it so we will then put the insurance expense on top and then we're going to credit, then put on the bottom, the prepaid insurance. So once again, we can kind of figure out what's the debit, what's the credit, just by looking for something that says insurance in our trial balance. And so now let's think about why this happens. What, what's the insurance expense? What is prepaid insurance? Prepaid insurance means that it's an asset. It's up in the asset section. And it, it got there because we, we set the system up again to do it this way. We said, hey, when, we, when you go to the accounting, to the bookkeeping department, to the accounting department, every time they pay for insurance, let's say they're paying for car insurance, let's say they're paying for uh, like a year worth of car insurance. We set the system up to say, yeah, that whenever you pay for it, cash is going to go down and we're not going to debit insurance expense. You're going to debit prepaid insurance every time. Why are, we, why are we debiting prepaid insurance and not insurance expense? Because insurance is always prepaid. That it's just by definition it's going to be prepaid, unless there's kind of some weird laws going in lately. But normally insurance by definition will be prepaid. It's meaning I can't get in a car accident and then buy insurance to cover the car accident that I got into, to you know yesterday. So that's we have to buy the insurance before the car accident. That means we prepaid it. Now insurance pays out when of course something happens. So if we got in a car accident, then the insurance would cover the car accident and it would pay out but that's not the only time it it should be expensed we utilize the insurance whenever the policy expires when the policy is expiring then we have been consuming the insurance because we've been safeguarded against the risk so insurance is guarding against risk of a problem that is happening we pay for the insurance therefore beforehand by definition most companies will pay for like a year beforehand or more because it's usually cheaper to do it that way so therefore, we're gonna, if we have a year-long policy, we're going to say that the, the bookkeeper or the account department put it in as a debit to prepaid insurance, a credit to cash when they recorded it. Then we're going to look at that policy and we're going to say, okay, how much of this has been expired? 
So for example, if, if we were to say that there was 12,000 in prepaid insurance, because that's how much insurance was paid for, and then we looked at the, uh, the policy and we're trying to figure out how much of that policy has expired. If it's a year-long policy, how much of it has, has expired? And if, if we're saying that six months has expired, for example, if this was that, that example, we'd say, okay, that means that uh, there, there should be left on the books 6,000 and we need to then expense 6,000. We got we to gotta reduce the amount that's prepaid by the amount that has been consumed and we have to expense the amount that has been consumed. So in this case, it would be 6,000 that we are going to both reduce prepaid insurance by and we're going to uh, expense the 6,000. Now, prepaid insurance is a little tricky because the uh, books can, can write it down two different ways. If they, if they give you a problem, they'll typically say, uh, this is how much prepaid insurance is still there at the end of the time period, in which case you'd have to take, you'd have to do a subtraction problem to bring it down to, you want to bring prepaid insurance down to the number they give you. Or they could say, this is how much of the, of the insurance that has expired, meaning they're just telling you the expense side. So they can, they can do either one of those, calc those or they can have you calculate it. And when you calculate it, you, can, you have the same kind of issue. You might be calculating what is left, what is still in prepaid. And the other side, the flip half of that, of course, is what has been consumed, what has been expensed. So when we record this, what's going to happen? Well, on prepaid insurance, it's an, it's an asset. It has a debit balance. If I had 12000 in prepaid insurance and then I credited it by the 6000 that would bring us down to a balance of 6000 And that would be the amount that we would say is still prepaid, the amount of the policy that has not yet been consumed. On the expense side, we're going to say the expenses have a debit balance. If we say that it's going to go up by 6000 then we're going to increase the expense by the 6000 increasing expenses. Expenses always go up. What's going to happen to net income? It's going to go down because uh, expenses went up and net income is calculated as revenue minus expenses. Therefore, if expenses went up, net income went down. Also bringing down equity because the income statement is part of the equity section.